0: Good morning. Thanks. And so Lord, we, uh, we bow before you now in the name of Jesus. Just uh, so many of us so unbelievably heartbroken today, <clears throat> but rejoicing that our Dear brother, Pastor Stephen has spent seven days in your embrace, Lord. And so this morning we just uh, thank you for the joy that we have in knowing that there is no weapon formed against us which shall prosper, that you are always in control, and that all matters of life and death are always in your hands. So, as your children, as your servants, as brothers and sisters in Christ here today, we we pray, we pray for Sister Yoniko and Sister Queenie, for Samuel. We pray your blessing on his wife and children now, and uh, and on the ministry that uh, depended so heavily on his. Spirit-filled leadership for so many years, and we, we pray for them, Father, and we pray for the country of India, we people we love so much and have been blessed to be a part of. So now, Father, we pray that you'll continue to uh, meet in us, meet with us, and continue to shape this church, this lovely fellowship here, Lord and the purposes that you have for us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you are a guest here today, or maybe newer to the vineyard, it might not be entirely clear to you what's happening. And what's happening is that we are uh, grieving the loss of our dear brother and friend, Pastor A. Stephen in India. And uh, Pastor Stephen has been a Close brother and uh, a partner in ministry with me and us for more than two decades and uh, it 's been our privilege to be able to be so substantially invested in their ministry there cornerstone world challenge and uh, a couple of months ago he had was required to have a kidney transplant and seemed to be going fine as recovery was coming along. We were rejoicing and those kind of things. And <clears throat> and then about a week and a half ago, he became very sick and returned to the hospital thinking that oh, God will use this to sort things out, fix him up and send him back. And uh, I talked to him a week and a half ago on a Wednesday and I could tell that his voice was very weak and he shared some tender things with me on the phone that day. And And so I wanted to go right away. I wanted to go be with him and pray for him. And the Lord just kept saying, I hear your heart. And I was waiting for a clear word from the Lord because you just don't pack up and go to India because you feel like it, you know. And I was waiting for a clear word from the Lord. And then last Thursday, I got a clear word from the Lord. You may go. Go to India. And so I immediately booked the next flight I could find that was available to me, which was Friday, and I was scheduled to be in in the wee hours of Sunday morning, like 3 o'clock or something like that. I was scheduled to arrive. and You know, I, like so many of you, just pictured going on in there, and not because of me, but because of God and His power and His grace, pictured going in there and laying hands on Him in the name of Jesus and seeing Him immediately made well. So many of you were agreeing for that. So I got to Toronto, which was where I was scheduled to pick up a flight to Dubai and then on to Bangalore. and, And I was ready to get on the plane Friday night in Toronto. And they said, there's been a mechanical failure and the plane will not be flying tonight. And I told them, I said, I'm in an emergency here. I have got to get on a plane I said, well, we're sorry, this one is not flying tonight. And so I, with 400 other passengers, are scrambling to make other arrangements. And finally, I was able to get on a flight from Toronto to London, London to Dubai, Dubai to Bangalore, and then uh, arrived 24 hours after my original schedule. And... uh, just learned in dubai when i called karen that our brother had gone to heaven so arrived in bangalore just about 12 hours after he had passed and i figured well this I guess we'll just be a resurrection instead of a healing. I knew that all things were in God's hand, but I wasn't, just because he wasn't breathing didn't mean that he wasn't going to live. And so I spoke that word even to his body, and it didn't live. So just trusting God, I, you know, I, I understood then that my, the timing of all, I was listening so carefully for when to go, and it was all in God's hands, and that his timing was not that I should go and see our brother on his physical feet, but that I should go and rejoice that he has gone home to be with Jesus and spend my time ministering to the family only hours after he had passed ministering to the servants of God who are part of his ministry there. And so I spent the week ministering to people in grief and, and then was so humbled and honored to be asked by the family to bring the message at his funeral on Thursday. So I want to thank you so much for your prayers, and uh, I mean that. Because this is a praying church. And I want to thank you guys, all of you, for your prayers. And continue to pray for Queenie, his wife, and Yoniko, his daughter, and Samuel his son. God has a plan. God has a plan. Just keep praying. And we have a celebration service planned for next Sunday night. I don't know what time. It's probably in the bulletin. But next Sunday evening, I hope if you were stirred and touched by the life of Pastor Stephen at all, you'll come and celebrate his life with us for a little while. But our purpose today is not to linger there. Our purpose is to hear the Word of God from John chapter 21. Please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay, because I'll read it for you and your ears will work as well as your eyes. And There's no PowerPoint today. There's no outline today. So listen carefully for the Scripture references as we roll through and see what God has in mind for us. John chapter 21, starting in verse 15. And what we're going to read is a tender Account of reconciliation between Peter, the disciple, between Jesus and Peter, the disciple. Peter had recently denied ever knowing Jesus. What a colossal failure he had thought of himself. By the time we read this, Jesus has already died for the sins of the world and risen from the dead, and it appeared to a number of people, a great number of people. The scriptures tell us that at one time he appeared to more than 500 people at one time because the good news is that no matter what anybody says, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He's up. Death couldn't hold him. And so this is the risen Jesus appearing here and appearing there and saying the things that needed to be said. And this is a, a very poignant encounter between Jesus and Peter who had Previously denied knowing Jesus. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. So this will be message number four in a six-part series we're calling Changed. And the purpose of this series is to show you from the scriptures that God changes people. That God works deeply inside of us to change us. That God wants to come inside of us and change our character so that we live naturally from that place. That being a Christian isn't a matter of learning how to control our behaviors so that we look like a Christian from the outside. But being a Christian means to be indwelt by the Word of God, encountered by the Holy Spirit at such a deep place that He would change our character and we live from that place. And uh, judging by your reactions over the first three messages of this series, this change that God wants to produce deeply within us is something I think you're interested in. Am Am I right? This is something that you want to have happen. You want to know if it's true, and if it's true, how does God get into that place and change us so that we live from the inside out as new creations in Christ and not just externally religious people. Well, thus far, we've seen three Old Testament characters and noticed how it is that God changed them. With Abraham, it was a matter of obedience. God said, go from this place to that place. And because he obeyed God and went from this place to that place, he was changed. And he started his life as an idol worshiper. He ended his life as the father of many nations through whom the lineage of Jesus Christ would come. That's a big change. And this is the change that God promises for those who respond to him in instant obedience. When God says go, we go. And God produces change. Next we look at the Old Testament character Joseph. And it was his deep embrace of the goodness of God in any and every situation that caused him to be changed. That he encountered perils in his life. He encountered injustice and trauma. And yet he always, always believed in the goodness of God that somehow in any and every situation, God is doing something good. And it was in deep embrace of the goodness of God in his life that God used to change him. And then we looked at Esther and this great woman of God who the Bible says was placed in a position for such a time as this. That God had orchestrated the details of her life to put her in a position of influence so that she should be used by God to spare the life of the people of Israel, spare the lives of thousands. But it, it called for something on her part. It called her to risk her life. It called her to risk everything. And because of her response of risk and being willing to risk, being willing to risk everything, then God used that to change her. And so, so far in this series, we've seen that obedience, the deep embrace of the goodness of God, and being willing to risk everything at any moment is what God uses to bring about these deep internal changes that then affect our behaviors. Have you heard yourself in there anywhere yet? Has there been something that's fallen on your life in such a way That God is beginning to access that internal part, the hard drive of who you are, so that He can change you from the inside out. Well, today we're going to shift over to the New Testament. We're going to spend the last three weeks looking at New Testament characters. We'd like to have a look at Peter today. I'd like to begin with an apology. The Holy Spirit spoke to my heart in preparing for this message and told me, I need to stop making fun of Peter. You know, over the years, I've looked at Peter and, of course, respected him as an apostle, but sometimes poke fun at his behavior, sometimes poke fun at his failures. And the Lord spoke to my heart and He said, Stop doing that. He said, Is your name in the Bible somewhere? (laughs) And he spoke to my heart, and he said, This is Peter. In spite of how he lived his life, he was the one person of all humanity to whom Jesus looked and said, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so I felt convicted. I wasn't sure why for the first time in 33 years of ministry I was feeling convicted about that. I, I thought maybe because I was preparing this message at about 36,000 feet and maybe somehow being seven miles closer to God, I was hearing him more clearly. <laughs> but Peter lived a very inconsistent life, didn't he? And as such, he is a great example of the redemptive purposes of God in the life of someone who one day is a success and the next day is a failure. He began his life as a fisherman, which as we know from our study of the Bible means that he probably wasn't college material. He was passed over by all the great teachers. Or maybe he just didn't show any real interest in the things of the spirit of the Jewish religion. Who knows? But he did some good things. He brought Jesus home to heal his mother-in-law who was sick with a fever. It's a good thing. He walked on water with Jesus. In spite of the fact that it was kind of an up and down experience, he walked on water with Jesus while 11 other disciples stood, sat in the boat with their mouths open. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah before anybody else in the world. Jesus once sat with a few of his disciples, and he said, Who do, who do men say that I am? And said, Oh, he's this, oh, he's that, oh, he's this, and oh, he's that. He said, who do you say that I am? Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was a good thing. But mostly Peter is known for the other things he did. He made promises he couldn't keep. He once told Jesus, Lord, I'll never forsake you. I'll die with you. He fell asleep while Jesus asked him to keep watch while he prayed. He objected to the feet washing. There was one place where Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus wanted to show his disciples how much he loved them. It says the full extent of his love. And so he began to wash their feet. And when he came to Peter, Peter said, No, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus said, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. He tried to talk Jesus out of his mission. He tried to talk Jesus out of his mission. So much so that Jesus looked at him and called him Satan. This is a bad day when Jesus says to you, get thee behind me, Satan. These are not the words you want to hear from the mouth of the Lord. Peter cut off a man's ear with his sword. But by far the worst day of Peter's life was when under pressure he denied ever even knowing Jesus. How do you come back from that? How do you come back from denying even knowing Jesus? So Peter led a very inconsistent life, some great moments of faith, punctuated by these incursions of colossal failure, Yet Peter ended his life exponentially better than he started it. Toward the end of Peter's life, we see see in in the books that he wrote in the New Testament that he offered this great depth of wisdom of the knowledge of the Lord and what it means to follow him. And he offered this great wisdom and he had a profound impact on the New Testament church. Tradition has it that Peter's life actually ended by being crucified. But that when it was time for him to be crucified, he insisted that he be hung upside down on the cross because he didn't consider himself worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord Jesus. This is a different person, isn't it? Because God changed him. Peter, in every way, grew up from this impetuous Impulsive disciple to become the rock upon which Jesus Christ has built the very church that we share together, brothers. How did that happen? How did Peter do it? How did he experience this kind of substantial change from a colossal failure to the foundation of the church of Jesus Christ? Well, the answer is pretty simple, really. If you read the gospel accounts of Peter, you can see what he did in order to give God the opportunity to change him forever. Would you like to know what he did? He just kept showing up. He just kept coming back. Failure after failure, he just kept coming back. Saying, here I am again, Lord. Lord. And this is truly one of the great keys of experiencing the changing power of the Holy Spirit that you say you seek. You just keep coming back. Some days you're victorious, yes? Some day you wonder how you can call yourself a Christian because of your level of failure, yes? So what do you do? You just keep coming back. You never let the devil persuade you that you have somehow sinned beyond the love of God for you. That you have somehow done the thing that excludes you from the grace of God. You just keep coming back. How long will this change take, you ask me? I don't know. I don't know how long this change will take in you. But I do know this. You just... Keep coming back. Sometimes people ask me when I preach this way or say something like this, they ask me, so does that mean that I can have as many chances as I want? Does that mean that as I fail and fail and fail and fail, that I can have as many chances as I want? And my answer is yes, comma, but... The answer begins with a yes. The teaching and the example of Jesus Christ is to forgive again and again and again and again and again. Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if seven times in a day he sins against you but comes back and says, I repent, then forgive him. They asked the Lord, how many times must we forgive? Seven times? You said seven? So at the eighth, I can cut him off? He said, not seven, but seven times, 70 times, 7,000 times. He said, you cannot fathom the number of times that you are to forgive your brother when they come in repentance. There's no limit. And God calls this of us because He offers it to us. An unlimited unlimited number of times to come to Him and say, I repent. You say, it blows my mind. Well, welcome to God. I think if something didn't blow your mind, you should wonder if it's God. And if all this stuff made sense to you, You should figure it was the cunning writing of a man. But this is God. Yes, but. Here's the qualifier. Can I just keep on sinning again and again and again and again? To understand the qualifier, I think you should read the whole book of Hebrews. It's not long. The whole book of Hebrews, from beginning to end, will take you 20 minutes to read. The whole book. You know, the the Church of America has become a church of verses this verse, that verse, this one is my key verse, this verse. And we've chopped this thing up as though there's no continuous counsel from the Holy Spirit for us. This verse I like. This one, not so much. And in doing so, we violate the very message that God means to tell us. Hebrews, the whole book will answer your question. You should sit yourself before this book this afternoon and say, God, I heard what he said. Now you tell me because the best teacher you can have is not me the best teacher you can have does not have a radio show the best teacher you can have is not on a television channel the best teacher you can have is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart and making his word come to life for you so you should sit with this book that starts by saying that Jesus Christ is the exact representation of God that he was not an employee of God That he was not a super prophet, but that he was God in the flesh. And everything flows from there in the book of Hebrews. And So this continuous counsel answers this question, can I just keep on sinning and sinning and sinning and coming back and coming back and coming back? And the answer is yes, but, let's start with the yes, and I'm not going to chop it up, but I don't think you'd sit for a reading and explanation of the whole book today, so... Turn to Hebrews 4, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 4, and verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great priest, a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus is the high priest over the church. There are not sub-priests under Him. You do not need a priest. You do not need any man to stand between you and Jesus the high priest. Jesus is the high priest, Jesus the Son of God. It says, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. To the faith. The faith. Not the religion, not the creed, the faith. The active expression of our faith. The active involvement of a relationship with Jesus that requires faith. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin, that somehow, while here, Jesus, the exact representation of God in the flesh, laid down his right to be God, Philippians two says, and and he experienced every temptation that is known to man, yet was without sin. So the Bible says he's not unable to sympathize with us in this, this war that we're fighting. He says, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So when we fail, when we are tricked by the devil, when the weakness of our flesh causes us to sin, that we do have a place we can return and receive continuing forgiveness, continuing mercy, continuing grace. So says Hebrews. Turn back a page to begin looking at the qualification under which that truth lives. Chapter 3, verse 12. See to it, brothers. Chapter 3, verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Remember? the, The writer of Hebrews said that we are to hold on to the what? The faith we profess. The belief. The active belief in Jesus. And he said, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living god but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness you see the deception of sin is to come and rob you of the joy that you experienced when you first came to christ do you remember that do you remember when you first came to christ and you were overcome with joy and you felt the weight of your sin lifted off of your shoulder you thought you could a person could never feel like that but then over time Over time then, sin comes and it has a deception. And the deception is that you're not supposed to be that way every day. But the reality is that because of our faith in Christ, active faith in Christ, it should not only be that way every day, but should be getting stronger and better every day. And this is an an indication of an active faith. And knowing Jesus is not something that should ever become routine. Oh, I'm going to church. Oh, I'm having my devotions. I understand how our minds ebb and flow with things. But we should be on a climb, not a plane. And he says, we have come to share in Christ, verse 14, we have come to share in Christ if, if, beloved, if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. This active expression of our faith. And so there is, as we continue to read through the book of Hebrews, it tells a story. And the story is that if Jesus Christ is living inside of you, there will be some result of that. That as you have faith, you'll be making a progress. We are saved by faith, it says, so it is our unbelief that causes us to sin. Keep reading on, verse 15. As, as has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all Moses led out of Egypt? Now, they saw all these great wonders of God as they're being led out of Egypt. Do you think that would have been enough to sustain them? But it wasn't. And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose body fell in the de- bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if they if not to those who disobeyed. well, What does that mean? Does that mean if we can't muster up the internal character somehow to be able to live according to the standard of Scripture that we're not going to enter into the rest of God? No, look at verse 20. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. It is not stirring up willpower. It's not stirring up effort. But it's about releasing our faith. In the person of Jesus Christ, active faith, encountering the Holy Spirit, and understanding that that begins a trajectory of life that never, ever ends. And if at any point in your life, if at any point in your life you stop growing, then you reveal your unbelief. If at any point, for crying out loud, Moses was 80 when he got started. Don't tell me you've been doing this a long time so you've plateaued. A plateau means that you are living in unbelief. A plateau means that you are not encountering the person of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit because you cannot encounter the Spirit and remain the same. So what am I saying? Are you a once saved, always saved kind of guy, Tom? My answer is absolutely. 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 If you are authentically saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, not your will or Satan himself can erase what God has written. But that needs to be an authentic thing. It's not just signing a card. It's not just deciding to be different. But it's encountering the living God through His Son, Jesus Christ. You'll never be the same. You'll never be able to go back. Once you've eaten from that table, you'll never be satisfied with the table of the world. And there will be evidence in your life that that thing has genuinely occurred. What would the evidence be? You will love God. You will love his word. You will love his body, the community of faith, the people of God. This love will grow inside of you as an indication that you are saved. So when Jesus came to Peter to reinstate him, what question did he ask him? Do you love me? Did he say, are you sorry for what you did? Are you making a promise to me right now that you'll never deny me again? Are those his questions? His question was one. Do you love me? Because love for God is an indication that you've been saved. And if you're here today and you have love for God, you know it. And you know some days you're victorious, and some day you're a colossal failure, but you're saved either way because you know the love of God inside of you and the love that you have for God. Yes? And if you're here today and you're saying, "I, I don't know if I love God. I don't know that I have a passion for God. Then you should wonder about the authenticity of your faith. Yeah, but I prayed the prayer, I said the words, I signed the card, I took the class. You should wonder about the authenticity of your faith. Because if you've been gripped by God through the message of His Son Jesus on the cross, you will fall in love with Him. You'll never be the same. I think another thing you should be looking for is do you have a desire to know and do the will of God in your life? I mean, do you live each day going, Lord, how, how could you fulfill your purpose in me today? I'm going to work. I'm going here. I'm going there. How could you fulfill? What's your will for me today? And how could you fulfill your purpose in me? How could you glorify your name through my actions today? And just to be smitten by a desire to know and do the will of God shows that something has happened. Because the natural man wants to do just the opposite. I don't care what you think. I'm doing what I want to do when I want to do it. But it's an indication that when God says speak or something in the Word just comes powering up at you, you say, God, I want to do this. Give me the strength to follow your will. That's a good indication. That's an indication that you are saved. But if you live each day going, oh, I don't know, I don't care, I'll go to church, maybe home group now and then, you know, I'll, I'll do this, I'll do that as I please, you should wonder about the authenticity of your salvation. You should wonder about that. How can you know Jesus and not be preoccupied with the desire to know and do His will? Another thing you should be looking for is the emergence, increasing emergence of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. The Bible says in Galatians 5, and 23 that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you should be able to look at your life and you go, more and more each day, each year, my life is characterized by those things. That That's increasing in my life. And because it shows, they are the fruit of the Spirit, it's a product of abiding in the Spirit. It's not a product of your effort. You could try to be more loving. You could try to be more joyful. You could try to be more self-controlled, and how well does that work? It has to come from the inside as the fruit of the spirit. And if you're seeing the fruit of the spirit increasing in your life, then you should glory in the fact that you're saved, because it's the only way that it happens. But if you're saying, "I don't, I don't, I, I am not a more loving, joyful, kind person than I was, patient," I'm not. You should wonder you should go to God and you should say, Lord, I prayed the prayer. I checked the card. I took the class. But I'm not seeing these things. These are evidences. And if they're present, you should have confidence that you're saved. And so, having qualified it this way, listen, listen. If those three abiding realities are true, an increasing love for God, desire to know and do His will, Emerges to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you are seeing in those, on the day that you are tricked by Satan and you fall to sin, you may run to the throne of grace and say, Father, I've sinned, forgive me. And the blood of Jesus will account for you, will come pouring down on you, and it will be as though you had never sinned. Did you hear me? And if... if if those abiding realities are true in your life, how many times can I do that? Once, twice, seven times, 7,000. There is no limit to the number of times that will occur. But do you see if those things are in, in, in place in your life, how the, the, the sin actions will be decreasing in your life, not increasing? Do you see this? And perhaps you're even a person who hasn't been healed by God of some perpetual behavior in your life that you want to be free of and you've tried and you know you've tried everything and it's not going away and god hasn't healed you of that wound in your character that causes you to behave destructively towards yourself well, what do you do if those other three things are true do you love God? Is your faith active? Do you love God? Do you desire to know do His will? And are you seeing the fruit of the Spirit emerge in increasing measure? Then you can go to Him. How many times? How many times in a day? There is no limit to the love of God for you. But do you see how that whole soul, do I get as many chances as I want, is qualified? Is qualified in Scripture. Nowhere in Scripture is this sort of cavalier attitude. Oh, Jesus will cover me. Let's go. Nowhere in Scripture is there permission to go and sin at will, knowing, oh, Jesus will cover me. That shows unbelief. That shows that that person has not yet encountered Jesus. Maybe some of you men are married to forgiving wives. Do you live a life, oh, she'll get over it? You're a stupid man. You're a stupid man. And that day will end because your wife is not God. If you have received forgiveness, praise God. Rejoice in that. Ask God to change your heart. Who goes to Jesus and says, oh, you know, I'm, you know I'll be over here, but I, I know you'll be there. I know your blood will cover me. That's an indication that person has never been in the company of the cross of Jesus Christ. The truth is that we all fail. I fail. You fail. We all fail. The Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what do we do? We just keep coming back, beloved. We just keep coming back. And coming to him, you know, not for some, oh, I've done my religious duty, but coming to encounter, just counter God, encounter God in the power of the Holy Spirit, receive the Spirit, receive the Spirit, receive the Spirit, receive the Spirit. You're going to fail. You're going to be tricked by the devil. He's been at this a long time. You're going to have weakness of the flesh. But thanks be to God that we're not disqualified from His kingdom because of those things, but we're qualified by the blood of Jesus Christ. But don't fool with that. Don't take that lightly. You know, there's one place in Hebrews that said, God is a consuming fire. Don't play with the fire. Don't play with the fire. Some of you are in this room right now and you're going, I need to come to God. Some of you are sitting there right now and you are stirred inside of you. You don't even understand it yourself, but you're stirred inside of you. and You say, I need to come to God. Some of you are going, maybe, maybe it's never really happened for me. I need to come to God. I don't have those things you talk about. I need to come to God. And you're stirred inside of you. Some of you are going... I've been a failure. I, This morning, yesterday, last week, I just failed so miserably. I need to come again. I need to show up again. Like Peter just kept showing up. I need to come to God. I need to have a fresh encounter with Him by His Holy Spirit. Some of you are stirred inside right now. And if you are stirred to come to God, and I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to get up from the place where you are right now and come up here. I won't ask twice. When you come, I want you just to kneel down before the Lord. Just kneel down, beloved. God loves you so much. There is no limit to God's love for you. Just kneel down before the Lord. And just pray the prayer that's on your heart. I can't look into your heart and know what you're praying about. I can't know the prayer. But you just pour out your prayer to God. You pour out your prayer to this listening God who loves you beyond measure, whose love for you has no limit. And I speak in the name of Jesus for the power of the Holy Spirit to come for every single one of you, every single one of you, and to touch you with this stirring inside of you. And the devil is talking to some of you, saying, you can't be forgiven. You've sinned too many times, and I break that lie in the name of Jesus. That is not the truth of the Scripture. The truth of the Scripture is, as you come authentically, and as you surrender yourself over to the move of God in your life, He will meet you. He will hear your prayer. You will encounter Him. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come.